Hey everybody, Bees with Ben. Fantastic episode again today. Got another queen breeder, really, really cool dude. Uh, Daniel Curlis from Curlis Aussie Apries is online all the way in Queensland. I'm going to hear about what he does with regards to bees and queens and uh, obviously the weather in Queensland, it's been a bit wet, which we obviously had that drought there for a little while. So we're going to talk to uh, Daniel. Thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on board. No, you're all right, Ben. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. No, it's absolutely pumped. I really appreciate your uh, your time with this because I know, obviously, during spring and summer, beekeeping work is never done. So uh, so I guess jumping into that question, um, the bees, how did you get into it? Well, I started it. I went to school at Nambour High and at the ag section there they had bees and as you do at school, you do a school assignment on it and I sort of thought, gee, this could be me one day and I've taken interest from bees ever since. That's awesome. And so how old are you now? I'm 32. 32, awesome. And now do you do a bit of work with the old man too? Your dad helps with the bees? Yeah, Dad does all the um, honey sales. We sell honey at a at a market here in Toowoomba, which is the PCYC markets. We sell honey to Foodworks, a um, couple of spas in Toowoomba, and we sell to a fruit shop at the Big Orange. That's on the Warrego Highway, heading to Brisbane. That's awesome. For those who are listening uh, overseas, uh, in Australia we have the big everything, you know, the big pineapple, <laughs> the big orange, the big sheep. I think there's a big earthworm down here in Gippsland. It's, uh, yeah. so, so, so you sell the honey at the big orange. Yeah. And that's, and that's, like, that's a tourist attraction, isn't it? So you can go there and it's got this big massive orange just off the highway and you can buy yeah. everything orange inspired. Yeah, it's just a, it's just like um, being in the Lockyer Valley. There, they've got all the, um, all the market gardens around the place there, and they just, you know, being local farmers, they sort of buy product off them and, and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that's that's awesome. So now with the, obviously I'm in uh, Melbourne, Victoria, and our our weather is a lot different to Queensland. I I've done the Mexican thing many years ago and lived in Noosa for quite a few years, but um. I absolutely love it up there, and the the weather especially. So, talk us through keeping bees in your area in in Queensland. Um, keeping bees in, in Queensland is a lot different to you know, obviously different states. There, we sort of we we don't get as cold as places like Victoria and and all that sort of stuff. We sort of have we sort of have our cold spells, but it's nothing nothing to major. Where you know, like we might have our odd days there where you know you have your jumper on all day and you know we say it's cold and you know when can this go and and all that sort of stuff but at at the end of the day it's still a very tropical sort of a place okay and so managing the bees in that sort of those tropical environment is that i'm getting so that's fundamentally as opposed to us in victoria we're dealing with you know spring summer autumn winter so you're more of a, a wet season dry season would you say um. Yeah, sort of, sort of that. Yeah, like in the obviously in the last couple of years, we sort of haven't had our haven't had our wet season in in, in the summertime. But um, you know, things are looking up for us for this coming, you know, for this coming winter and this next spring with having all this rain we've had. That's awesome because you guys had that drought for over ten years, wasn't it? 
yeah, it was a it was a long time, and we're sort of out feeding bees all the time, and and it was something feeding bees. Just, it just never seemed like it was just ending. It was you know you put feed out for, her and you know you go back the next day, then it'd be all gone. It was just becoming to be, you know, we're just trying to look for an end, you know. Yeah, just not but, not enjoyable. Yeah, it's just becoming. Yeah, it was sort of really impossible to sort of keep up on everything and and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you, you sort of put out, you know, you put out pollen and substitute, you know, they'd eat it. You know, you put it out today and it'd be all gone tomorrow. And it was just, yeah, it's, it was very tiring. Oh, I can... Tiring with um, sort of keeping up to everything. But that's just, that's just life. You just managed it, you know? Yeah, that's right. And, and get through it. And that's where, my, that's where my passion to be sort of, sort of come into it because it just sort of, it just sort of made me sort of be like a little bit more better of a beekeeper because you sort of knew what they – you had to read things a little bit differently. You know, you had to get there and, you know, you know, if you've got trees in flower, you know, things it seems to be very easy. But when you've actually got to get that feed into them, like, you know, that sugar syrup and, and that pollen substitute and trying to breed queens on that sort of a scale in, in a drought, you had to sort of put some really thought into it, going, you know, I've got to make some sort of a living out of it, but how am I going to do it? Because you've got people all around Australia where you sell queens to, and you have to get that quality queen out the door. And and that's where, being in the drought, where I sort of felt that sort of made me be a little bit better of a beekeeper because you had to try different things and find what works for you. And a lot of the pollen substitute I use is a product called um, Ultra B. And um, and we just put a, like a container of pollen up underneath the lid there so they were getting two different. They were getting Ultra B out in the open and they were getting the um, pollen underneath the lid. And when you're out feeding those sort of, you know, that sort of thing took time and, and, but you got the award out of by doing it because you knew in the drought times you were having that colony bred up to do what you do as as a queen bee breeder. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. Uh, and we'll come we'll come back to that on the um, pollen side of things in a second. But but speaking about the conditions and so forth, honey. So what what flows do you have up there in the um, in the Sunshine Coast? Um, like we sort of have the tea tree there. We have the tea tree on the, you know, going into winter time. We sort of have our bloodwoods. We sort of have our smooth bark apple. We have our iron bark species. Um, I work major- majority of um, narrow leaf iron bark and the grey iron bark. Uh, the grey iron barks are sort of up in places like Jimna and and just sort of in the back parts of like Raven Spawn there. Um, and yeah, we work a lot of brush box, um, and yeah, it's just a lot of your sort of ground floor if it's around. If we have the rain, yes, okay, that's um, that's interesting. And um, now you mentioned uh, obviously feeding pollen. Um, what about obviously those little suckers that everyone hates? They're probably not so much of an issue for us in Victoria, but African small hive beetle. Uh, obviously, you're dealing with warmer temperatures than us down here and uh, high humidity, how do they go? Can you feed 
uh, pollen paddies in the hive or you, you mentioned open feeding. How does that all uh, work for you, Daniel? We tend to do a lot more open feeding is because because if you do put like a pollen paddy in a hive and, and all that sort of stuff and with being in a tropical area there and having high volumes of um, small hive beetle in hives, it's sort of, you know, you put it in today there and you can come back then, you can have all your little, um, like your small hive beetle larvae through it. And we sort of tend not to, I sort of tend not to um, put patties in the hives because of, because of that reason. And anything what goes into a hive, it's always a dry powdered form. Um, it's, we sort of, yeah, it's sort of hard, like, you know, you, you put it in the hive today as a paddy form and two days time you're sort of throwing it out because it's got all that beetle larvae for Okay. And, and so with the um, the dry feeding with inside a beehive, um, how, how do you do that and how much do you give them per colony? Well, I just, I just sort of, um, I just sort of do like a, you know, like a sort of a, um, like a dessert spoon, like a dessert spoon full of, um, with pollen. Just, and, um, just on top of the frames? Do you sprinkle it on top of the frames or do you put it on like a piece of newspaper or is it on a crown board or something? Um, I put it on a, um, you know, the honey container lids, those yellow lids you get? Yes, yep. With the bottle. With the bottles there, um, I just been using them or put it over the frames. And the uh, and what about the the beetles? Were they impacted when it's in a dry form, or it's only an issue if it's in that sort of paddies uh, style? It's the paddy sort of a style where because it's moisture, and they get attracted to it. Okay, interesting. I like I like that. And is that something is with the feeding of the pollen? Is it do you find is it certain times of the uh, the year that you've got to do that, Daniel, or is it all year through? You find it sort of perks them up. How do you how do you know when to feed pollen? Well, I sort of do it on a religious thing. I sort of have it out three hundred and sixty five days a year. Um, I sort of find if they're not using it at the moment, it's there for it when they need it. Okay, okay, that's a good yeah. Okay, that's a that's a good way of. Uh, of doing that and uh interesting yeah I, I like the way people do things everyone does something different as you said before working out a style that works for you you know and it's really really cool you know because what you're doing is absolutely brilliant so um and uh what about so queens that that's your would you say that's your passion your focus daniel is breeding queens uh i like breeding queens um i prefer to do queens over honey um, because I sort of feel you're sort of playing sort of a, a important role, you know, to produce a good queen, you know? Yeah. And it comes back down to the nutrition to sort of produce that queen, and you've got to know a lot of that but to produce a quality queen. And, you know, I sort of tend to sort of, in my cell yards, I sort of tend to sort of feed them a little bit too much pollen because I just sort of feel you got to feed them too much because if you feed them too little, it's not enough. Okay. And and that's just one thing I've, I've sort of learned is, is you just got to you just got to be onto it all the time. You've got to make sure the nutrition's there. Okay. And and so and breeding the queen. So that's as you said, your passion. You love doing that. So so talk us through a, a working week 
um, in your shoes, Daniel. So from Monday to, to Sunday, you know, staying off on Monday, what, how do you plan your days and plan your weeks and plan your seasons for that matter? Well, what I do is, is I start on, I, I do up me, um, me queen cages on a, on a Sunday night, um, depending on what sort of orders I've got out, depending on what, how many cages I do up. Um, then on the Monday I do the, on the Monday I do the, do catching, catch them and then on the Monday afternoon or Tuesday mornings they get ready to go to the mail. And Wednesday is just a bit of like, bit of shed work where you'd sort of, you know, you'd, you know, wire frames or paint bee boxes or do any of that sort of stuff. Um, then I'm back in the queen yard going through me, going through the cell builders and doing a count on how many cells I've got to what I need for that week and how many spares I've got. Then I go out and make up nukes for whatever I've got spare. Then on the Saturday morning is my drafting day where I sit down there for about four hours and I graft queens. Okay, so for, so you spend, you'll sit down, so and you're doing the grafting out in the field, or you bring that into your shed to do the grafts? I actually got a caravan. What I do my grafting into? Oh wow, awesome! That, and, and the caravan, Literally. the caravan, you tow that around, Daniel, or is that in a stationary position? Or, or that's just in a stationary position. And and what I actually do is, is when I when I go to do my grafting, I've got like a little headlight. I go out there and find the right larvae, and and what I've actually got now, and what I've come up with now is, is I've, I've we've sort of, you know, we put a frame in there from, just say for example, you put one in there on the Monday, and by that Friday Saturday, you sort of got a bit of a rough idea of, you know, those those young larvae at twelve hours, and I sort of try and get them at around about that sort of twelve hour mark because anything after that, I'll sort of find you're not really getting a good queen, and what I've actually what I've actually come up with now is is where I've got a an eight frame box and I've got a queen excluder, and what I'll do is I'll lock the queen into that one frame, so then I know from say Tuesday through to say on on um, Friday, I know I'm going to get the right right age larvae to do the grafting then on the Wednesday you sort of know from that sort of that sort of respective of it and that's where you're getting the the right age larvae to do your grafting that's really cool and so and it's just having that consistent routine so you know that consistently that by doing this routine you know exactly where you're at and where the larvae are so that's really really cool and what what type of grafting tool do you use is it one that's better than another that you find I find I just use the Chinese grafting tool. Okay. And okay. And how, how many can you smash out in a minute? You, you're pretty quick because I've seen some people on YouTube that probably actually are in China, and I reckon they could do like about it's almost like four or five a second. <laughs> so mm-hmm. how long is it? You said that four hours. How many? Roughly how many can you do in that four hour period? Well, in between, like I sort of in between doing doing like when you when I'm in the yard grafting there, I'll sort of. You know, I've got a couple of different lines I sort of graft out of. Like I've got the the uh, P1, which is the Parker line. Then I've got the uh, New Zealand variety. 
of Italian, which has been bought from Joe Horner and just other suppliers. There's a supplier I use in Queensland. I'll get a breeder of. Um, I've got his lines there as well. Um, I sort of tend to breed from three different lines and, you know, I sort of try and try in, into, you know, so I know what's going out each week and, you know, I might graft a hundred of one line and a hundred of another or I might graft depending on, it's it's all depending on how I sort of feel on, on the day and, and what, what's my favourite breeder queen. I, got, I like the New Zealand one at the moment. Okay. Um, that's that's my favourite one. Um, I've sort of been doing a lot of grafting out of her lately, and um, yeah, she just sort of catches my eye to be a really good one. Okay, interesting. And, and tell us about that particular line from from New Zealand. When when was that imported, and and how does um, how long has it been here for? Well, I, I sort of haven't really I sort of haven't really looked into into that at the present time, but. Um, that Pacific breeder queen come from come from Joe Horner down in down in Mudgee in New South Wales. Okay, because I, mm. I I remember those years quite a oh, many many years ago. Geez, it might be ages ago. They they bought some queens in. Um, this is a long long time ago. So yeah, so it must have been part of that particular batch. And and it's only Italian queens that you work with, Daniel. Yes, only Italians, yep. Okay. And, and what about sort of, you mentioned sort of that's a day-to-day. What about seasons? When do you sort of fire up sort of queen production and, and when do you slow down? Well, I sort of slow down. I sort of start in around that mid-August time where I'll sort of go out there and sort of get everything preparated to make, to make my nukes up, mating nukes up. Then sort of by that mid-September, I'm sort of, more fired up, ready to go. Okay, yep, okay. And, and you work sort of, so you're working pretty much five, six, six days a week doing the Queens? About six days a week I'm, I'm doing at the moment. That's, and, and what about, what, what do you do in your downtime, Daniel? What's your, what's your hobby? Do you have a hobby? Yeah, I like to go fishing, but I haven't been fishing for quite some time. <laughs> That's funny. You know, a lot of, a lot of beekeepers... Their hobby is their bees, the ones that work, or their hobby is actually fishing. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, and what about what sort of challenges are you finding, you know, breeding queens and your business? Is there any is there any challenges you're you're finding? I'm just finding the more the more I breed, the easier it gets because I'm not saying I know I'm not saying I know everything about queen rearing, but it's something where where I've I've found what works for me. That's what what I sort of stick to. And if I sort of try and change something to to try and make something a little bit better, I'm always going back to what my old methods were because if that's what worked for me. Okay. And you know, like with my cell builders, like over over periods of time there, where you know the the general person would have a clerk board and and they would have they'd have a queen down in the bottom box there, then they'd have then they'd have like petition boards through it, and they, when it comes to the time of grafting, they'd push that board in to make that top part queenless. And when I first started getting into doing that, I couldn't, I couldn't get, a, couldn't get a queen cell to accept. And I was, I was talking to a fellow down there, down at Ipswich there, and I said to Rod, I said, "How? There's something I'm not doing right here." 
and he said to me, Daniel, the best advice I can ever give you was to go get a single box, have it single, make sure you put your brood in it each week, run it, run it like that. And he said, put 20 on a bar and you'll get quality queens every time. And now I'm at a stage there where I'm grafting up to, uh, I get 20 out of 20 on a bar. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. And uh, it's, it's a real skill. Like I'm, I'm terrible at it. Um, but it's a real skill, people are grafting, you know, queens because it's just, you know, not damaging that larvae. You're, you're dealing with something that's incredibly small. And as you said before, the time frames you're finding twelve hours is a, is a perfect time frame. So it's really, really, it's yeah. I applaud what you're doing because, as I said, it's it's not and it's patience too, and it's repetition, and it's being consistent. You know, when breeding queens, yeah. it's really it's those three fundamental things actually breed them um it really really is and uh and so and during winter time is that so that's your downtime so there's not much bee work other than the usual making frames and and um you know boxes and that type of thing yeah okay and you and you guys used is it eight or ten frames up there well i'm just changing over from i used to run always 10 frame stuff and i've really sort of come to a liking of um, of the actual eight frame stuff because I'm finding I'm finding here is is in middle of winter you sort of gotta you gotta run your frames a lot different. If you've got single single hives there you're always you're always putting the the outside frames into the middle and you you always you gotta I've always found you've got to work a ten frame box a little bit harder than you do with an eight frame. Because that eight frame's not that much bigger than a than a five frame nuke as such. It's only it's only uh, three frames more more, which is I find the bees do better in an eight frame box. Okay, interesting. Because because up in Queensland, you're mostly ten frame boxes up there, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think most people sort of are around uh, uh, Victorians. We seem to be the ones most popular with eight frames. And I'll just put that down to a little bit weaker <laughs> than uh, the uh, the crew over in South Australia and, and Queensland. Um, yeah, a little bit, uh, I don't know. But it's, it's interesting. A lot of people are, I'm hearing, are going from 10 states uh, just because they're yeah. obviously managing it and so forth. So, And, and speaking of managing, um, now, and queens and so forth, now talk us through banking queens because my understanding is you can get some, que- when we say banking, we can get queens uh, in their cages and you can put them yep. into a hive and you can keep them, not indefinitely, but for a duration of time. So so tell us tell us about that because a lot of people don't don't realise you can actually bank multiple queens in a hive together. How do, how do you do that, Daniel? Well, what I do is I just grab a single hive, I make it queenless, and I've got some, I've got some bars where I've got, some, got like a little bar thing you, you buy from what you can actually sit the – their plastic cages in, and you just sit them in there. Make sure you take the escorts out of them. That is one of the most – take them out, and you can sort of leave the queens up in those hives for about 28 days. Um, I'm known to let them go from April through to about June. Like I sort of like to have them out by June, about two months. We sort of – you can sort of keep them up for, but you can actually keep them longer than that. Um, it's, it's sort of, 
an easier way of where if you're busy or you've got to do something, you know, you can take the escorts out, put them in a, make a little frame to put the, put the um, queens on, bars onto, and, yeah, keep them up to 28 days. And when you're ready to go out and do some requeening, you can go and do it. Wow, that's that's amazing, and that's such a handy uh, application to do is to bang queens. So, so you, you mentioned you take the escorts out. Can you actually leave escorts in there with them in the cages, or what happens there? Um, they bank a lot better with the escorts out, and um, yeah, like I've, every time I've sort of banked queens, I just sort of take the escorts escorts out. Then when you take them out of the hive and you want to go and do a little bit of little bit of requeening, you can just um, just take them out, put them into a little esky, just leave a few bees on there, and yeah, just go out and do your requeening for the day. And there's yeah, there's there's no there's you know leaving them in there that's not going to do the queen any harm or anything like that. You know, it's not going to stunt egg production or anything like that. It's yeah, it's a good way of. Um, you know, going out and requeening when you're ready to do it. Yeah, that's that's right because that's like such be such a handy thing to have because you know everyone wants queens the start of spring. You know, hobbyist yeah. beekeepers, commercial beekeepers, everyone wants to start of spring. So to have them banked up like that is a really really interesting way. Is have you heard or the longest you can actually do them for until it starts getting detrimental to the health? Is there any time frame? Like- After twenty eight. After 28 days, we work on you, would lose about 10%. Okay. Okay. So after tw- so after a month, we find you'll lose up to 10, up to 10, 10% of those queens. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And, um, and, and so your, your business, uh, um, you know, breeding queens and so forth, where do you see yourself? Any goals or anything in the next, say, five years' time, Daniel? I sort of like to be in a situation there where, you know, I've probably got a couple of blokes working for me, and and just sort of teach, sort of teach people beekeeping. You know, like have them work for you, and sort of teach them different avenues of of it, and you know, and why you do this, and why you do that, and you know, sort of, you know, I like to sort of see myself produce large quantities of queens, but to keep that quality there. Yes. Okay. I think that's that's right because yeah, they're keeping that quality there. And what about the industry? Do you see any any issues with industry or you know good or bad or you know good things or bad things for that matter in the next five ten years? As a as a honey as a honey producer, it's going to be it's going to be something where you know the almond pollination and all these pollinations like you know we're going to have here in Queensland we're going to have. The macadamia pollination, like just outside um, Maryborough, there they're starting to plant two thousand two thousand hectares of macadamias, and there's a pollination is going to be a sort of a really big thing, where you know the honey is just going to be okay. Well, that's just going to be an extra, just a bit of cream on top of your pollination. Yeah. Okay. So, so do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's a good thing because it's going to bring a lot more, you know, we're going to need more beekeepers to sort of get into the industry and, you know, have a go and there's going to be plenty of work there for them. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. It's a really interesting, and as you, you know, said, things are growing and the population's growing 
and obviously we need more food. So, and particularly macadamias. I tell you what, yeah. how good are macadamias? I, I absolutely love them. Yeah. The only problem is they're very expensive. They're about 40, 50 bucks a kilo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe down here in Melbourne. I'm not sure up there. You probably just go in, the, in your backyard and <laughs> and pick them. But but down here, they're they I I I, uh, I buy them quite relatively regularly, and uh, yeah. yeah, about forty bucks a kilo. And uh, but also too, I have a bit of uh, macadamia honey as well. So it's like a hundred percent pure honey. So the bees are collecting the nectar from the macadamias, and it is absolutely yeah. marvelous. And um, and and speaking of honey, last last question, and I'll, I'll let you do some work. Uh, what, what's your favorite honey, Daniel? My my favorite honey is uh, Napanya and Yellow Box. Ah, okay. It's interesting. A lot of a lot of the beekeepers love the Yellow Box honey. I think it's a nice, clean, classic taste. I, I, yeah, yeah, I do agree. I do agree. Well, yeah, I, I like the uh, the Napanya honey is a really good is a really good honey. Okay, Napanya. Okay, interesting. It, it. It's a honey that goes candy really quickly. Okay, okay, interesting. Napanya, awesome. Yeah. Well, well, Daniel, I just want to say a big, big thank you. Thank you so much for your time. That's absolute awesome. Uh, I, I uh, everyone listening, I got Daniel on his lunch break. Because uh, he's a busy man, obviously beekeepers that time of year. So, so I really appreciate yeah. you coming on board, Daniel. Thank you so much for your time, mate. Yeah. You take care. Have a good day. Don't work too hard. Yeah.